10 through 20. Okay, and specifically, we're looking at the armor of God. Now, through Scripture, uh, Pastor Sam showed us that the life of a Christian is a life of war. Okay, it's a battle. It's not one of ease or described as a pleasure cruise. Yes, when one comes to saving faith in Christ, new life is given, and life abundantly. But there is still struggle this side of the sun. We struggle with the sin that clings so close to us, but we also struggle with an enemy that is very real and seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And for the Christian, the enemy is not flesh and blood, no matter what you might feel. If you are a Christian, another person is not your number one enemy. No, your enemy is found in the spiritual realms and are the rulers, authorities, the dark cosmic powers that seek to come against you. The devil is enemy number one. He's a liar, a cheat, a murderer, an accuser, and he would love nothing more than to take you out and lead you astray. Remember, Sam showed us that his two main weapons are accusation and temptation. He's clever, and he knows the exact strings to pull to distract your mind. His schemes know no end. But praise be to God that no matter how crafty this enemy is, he's already been defeated. Right? And for you and I, for those who are followers of Christ, we're now able to stand in victory. Now, this victory is not produced by our own strength or something that you muster up, but it is all the strength of his might, the creator of the universe. And the victory belongs to the Lord. Right? Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So if you are in Christ, you're being prepared for battle, but the outcome is not up to you, and it's already been decided. Victory is the Lord's. We are to now stand and not back down. And while the outcome's been decided, the events and battles are still taking place. So over the coming weeks, we'll be covering each piece of the armor of God that we've been given to stand against the schemes of the devil. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead, and we're going to be back in Ephesians 6. I'm going to read the entire passage for us. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. But first, um, so my family and I, we, we've been known to dabble in board games. Okay, now, now we're not like the 12-hour strategy games that take place. We're not that far um, if you're in there. Uh, I think I only remember like Settlers of Catan, and maybe that's like a beginner level. Um, but we're not quite there. We can get after some Go Fish and like Dutch Blitz and some of those things. Okay, the occasional battleship. Um, one game we used to play that you're probably all familiar with is called Jenga. Okay, now if, if you're not familiar with this, it's a wooden game that's about this tall, right? About one and a half, two feet tall. And you have these wooden planks that are intersected together to build a tower. Now outside of my son's reef desire at a young age just to destroy the thing before we even started, the object of the game is to pull one block at a time without the entire structure coming down. Now, you know, and I bet if you've played the game, you have your own styles. Either you're like a tapper on each one, right? And then when you find a loose one, you're either the guy that goes, boom, pulls that thing quick, or you're like, I'm just going to gently nudge it out. Can't, right? So you all have your methods. 
But the key is, when we come to one that is firm and not moving, we know we don't touch it. Like, no, let me get the easy one. And the game ends when the whole thing comes down. And what happens is eventually someone has to pull on a firm block. And all of a sudden, when we pull that block and it comes down, we know that that piece was integral in keeping that entire structure up. That's where we come today. That's where we come to the beginning of the armor of God. And we will see that the truth of the gospel is the key in standing against the devil. Let's say that again. The truth of the gospel is the key in standing against the devil. So if you'll read with me Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. <clears throat> now this week, like I already said, we start with the first piece mentioned in the armor of God, the belt of truth. Now, in order to understand the function of the belt of truth and, in fact, the entire armor, it's important to know the context of what's happening and what Paul is referring to. Now, the Apostle Paul would have been very familiar with the armor of Roman soldiers in that time. I mean, he was in and out of prison. And in very close proximity, he was able to detect and look at, dissect the actual um, attire that a Roman soldier was wearing. Now, the list that Paul gives here is not an exhaustive list, but what he's communicating is vital for the follower of Christ. Now, as we look at the entire armor, there's six pieces mentioned, right? Six pieces of armor. And out of the six, you will see that actually the first five are defensive in posture, only one being an offensive weapon. And that's the last one mentioned, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, historically, the armor can be divided into two categories. We see the first three and the second three. The, the first three are actually fixed into position upon the body. The belt is fixed, the breastplate, and the sandals or the shoes. And the parts that are not fixed is the shield, the helmet, and the sword. Now, if we go back to verse 14, and Paul's starting the list of the armor, right? And he says, stand, therefore having fastened the belt of truth. 
we need to know that the order that Paul gives is of utmost importance. This is not by mere circumstance or chance or randomness that it's ordered in the way it is. No. Paul knew exactly what he was doing and what the Lord wanted us to hear. The fact that the belt of truth is first is very significant. Now, in a Roman soldier's attire, the belt could also be referred to as the girdle. It was the first piece to be put on. Now, they had clothes that were flowing and tunics, right, that would be out. And so the belt would actually keep it in place and wrapped around it tightly, tighten it in. So when they would enter into battle, it would not be stumbling over and tripping over their clothes. But the belt also functioned in the fact that it went on first because it held everything else together. The other pieces of armor would be attached to it. Now, in war times, it was to be on at all times. It was to be tightly fastened, prepared for battle, ready for action. Now, Paul's description of the armor is even closely tied with the armor that we see in Isaiah chapter 11. And in Isaiah chapter 11, we actually see the armor that is placed upon the Lord's Messiah, the coming Savior of his people, that was going to deliver God's chosen people in Israel and Judah. In Isaiah 11.5, we see, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now we know the coming Messiah is Jesus, and so this is the armor that Jesus is wearing. And so the word faithfulness that we actually see in Isaiah 11, if it's translated in Greek that Paul was writing in, it actually would be translated into the word aletheia, which is the same word that Paul's using here for truth in Ephesians 6.14. So we see that the very belt of truth that we're given is the very belt and armor that our Savior, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, has on right now. Now, the function of the belt is important to know, and we need to be aware of the external function of it, right? In fact, the entire armor. But what it's speaking to is actually an internal reality that has taken place for the believer in Christ. We also need to wear not only the function of it, but we need to be aware of what is the actual truth. What is this belt made of? So we see the function of it, but what is it made of? So what is the truth referring to? Well, John 14, 6 tells us when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is the truth of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ, the truth of God's word. And the Bible is God's story of redemption through his son. This is the truth. If we look at all the way back to the beginning of creation, right, in Genesis 1, and God created all things, and all things were made through him, including man. But then we see in Genesis 3, as what's been known as the fall, that we see that man rebelled against God, right? And then sin entered that world at that moment and fractured everything. It distorted the relationship that now you and I have with the Creator. But before the foundation of the world, God already had a plan in place to redeem His people through sending His Son and through Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. And faith in Him, you now will be redeemed to your Creator. And God will send His Son again to restore all things, and we will be made perfect with Him. This is the gospel. This is the truth of Jesus. This is the scriptures. That's the entire truth of God, the truth of the gospel. 
Now, some commentators uh, over time have tried to reconcile um, the truth because when they look at the last piece of armor in the sword of the Spirit and see that it's the Word of God, they then go, well, if that's the Word of God, then the belt of truth can't be that. It has to be something else. And so the way that it's actually been translated before is someone's going, well, I just need to be truthful. I just need to make sure I'm being honest. And that is a grievous mistake. Because let me tell you, if the whole armor of God is dependent on the first piece of our honesty, oh, we're in trouble. We're gravely in trouble. We're in trouble before the battle even begins. Now, for the rest of our time, I'd like to focus on answering a few questions. All right, we see what the belt of truth is. We see a function of it. And we see what the truth is. But how do we come to possess this belt of truth? And then I want to look at what are we to do with it, and how does it practically play out in our lives? So first, how do we come to possess the belt of truth? We'll see that the truth is received. Truth is received. Now, from the beginning of this passage of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Paul's communicating that this is God's armor, right? This is God's armor. This is not all of a sudden my armor or it's something that I create or it's something that I bring into existence. This is God's armor. And it's important to know that it is not something you and I create and it is not something we earn. It is given. It is given. It is a gift. Now, who loves getting presents? Okay, man, more hands got to be up than that. Maybe not. I know as we get older in life, and now that I'm a parent, I love giving gifts to my kids right on Christmas morning, seeing the reaction that is happening. But it's not that bad getting a gift still. Um, I will say as Christians, if you've been here and here, and you've been a believer for any amount of time, I will say, do you ever have a hard time accepting help? Do you ever have a hard time admitting that you need something? We need to know that all of a sudden, when we come to the truth of the gospel, it's something that is continually given at every moment of every day of our lives. It's not one moment, and then all of a sudden, it's on us to gain everything. We receive the truth. John 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 34 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Remember, Jesus is the truth. And when you come to saving faith in him, he has set you free. You have received him. It is not of your own doing. John 17, 8, in Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father says this, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus is the truth. He's the one of how we receive the truth. It is to be received. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Our coming to the truth is not because anything we've done, and it is not your own doing. You have been given it. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. D. 
Do you know Jesus had given, your, given him yourself? Get, sorry, given you himself when you have trusted in him? He has given us truth. He is important to know that it's been given to you and it's not dependent on you. And at that moment, when you have trusted in the truth of the gospel, you are now new. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have a new identity. And now Christ determines who you are. And out of that determines what you do. Now, the reason I say that in coming that we receive the truth is, brothers and sisters, I believe that one of the devil's schemes is to convince you and I that what we do or what we accomplish determines who we are. It determines the truth of our lives is how much I can carry this thing out. And it is not, again, if it is dependent on me to be perfect, I'm in trouble. I need to remember that I've received the truth of Christ, that I've received the belt of truth. And it is also not on me to continually try to earn to be given it again. Again, I think when we've been given gifts, do ever any of you struggle with going, oh, well, I'll get you on the backside. Like someone gave you something, so, well, I need to bring you dinner tomorrow night because you brought me dinner on Tuesday night. No, that was a free gift. Accept it. You have received it. Uh, there's a book series that my son and I, uh, Reef and I, uh, have read, and I just love it. And so the author, her name is Priscilla Schreier, and the book is called Prince Warriors. And it's a story, a collection of books about um, brothers and friends that are learning how to put on the armor of God, right? And how do we live that out? Well, in the first book, when the brothers are actually led by their guide uh, to see their first armor, this is what the guide tells them. And the guide is to be the Holy Spirit. They see the armor, and he says, the armor must be received. I must give it to you then it is your responsibility to put it on and use it. We get the order mixed up. It's been given to us. Then it is our responsibility to use it. It's our responsibility to use it. And that brings us to our second point. The truth is to be applied. The truth is to be applied. Now, we've seen that the armor is God's, right? And we need to understand that. But once it's given, we're to put it on. Over and over through this passage, we see that we put on the armor of God. It's not meant to be given and never used. It is not meant to sit in the corner of your room in a fancy trophy case as a relic collecting dust and say, look what I got. No, it's to be used in the very field of battle at every moment of your lives as a Christian. It's the belt of truth. It is to be fastened upon you. In verse 14, we see that we're told to stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Remember, the belt holds everything together. If you do not have this in place, everything else falls apart. We must always have it on, have it fastened, ready for action. Because if we don't, we've already lost when the attack comes. We've lost before an attack comes. Like a Roman soldier garments will trip and stumble and not be able to stand in the midst of an attack. If the truth is not covering you, if the truth is not encompassing you, you won't be able to hold any other piece of armor. Now, I love that Jenny said young people um, because I still actually told Slade I got called a young man the other day and I'm still like trying to go, how can, when do you actually grow out of that young man stage? Um, 
And the reason I'm saying this, we're going to go back to the 90s real quick. And so that's when I was in high school. And then all of a sudden, the college guys are like, you are not a young person anymore. Um, but listen, at, when I was in high school, one of the big trends was baggy jeans. Okay. Now, I heard baggy jeans are making a comeback and skinny jeans are on their way out. I'm just like, I'll just put whatever is comfortable on at this point. So maybe I'm not a young man anymore because that's my trend style. But one of the jeans that I always loved to wear was this name of brand called Janko jeans, right? And you, you had your size from like this big to a little bit bigger and then like hot air balloon size. Like the, these were big jeans. And people, <laughs> I did not know I was going to get an amen on Janko jeans. Um, but, but as you're wearing them, they are big and baggy. And we know like the style was called sagging. Like I heard from every day, my dad going, pull those jeans up, get them up. Now, the funny thing is, I was constantly having to walk to class, pulling my jeans up, always, and I was wearing a belt. <laughs> but for some reason, I didn't think the belt actually should hold the jeans up because it was just for a style on top of the baggy jeans. I didn't understand what a belt was meant for, and I was not using it. This is the same with us. We've been given a belt. If you are in Christ, you have been given the belt of truth, Jesus Christ himself. We better put it on. We better walk in it and use it in every day. And it's not a one-time event. Paul reminds the church in Corinth of this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Do you know that day in and day out you are being saved? And what I mean by that is, yes, when you come that first time to repent and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been saved and that will never be taken away. But you're also continually being saved every moment of every day. You are standing in the truths of the gospel every day. It is of first importance. And if you don't have this, you don't stand. We need to remember, like I said earlier, the old has passed away, the new has come. Listen, the devil wants to keep his control of you. And as you were when you were under the power of the prince of the air, as Ephesians 2 tells us. But guess what, Christian? You are no longer breathing that air. You're breathing the truth of Christ. And you are to be ruled by it and governed by it. Uh, Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones um, says this in regard to a Christian and the belt of truth. He says, it is meant to be a, we are to be a mastery of the truth, but also being mastered by the truth. Those two go in conjunction. We are to be mastered by the truth, but we are to have a mastery of the truth. You need to be skilled in the scriptures and the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. Because we need to wrap it on and put it on if we are to actually function in it and help fight against the schemes. You and I are not meant to be children in the faith forever. 
A children does not understand or grow in maturity and understanding, how do I actually use this? We have to teach them, right? And they grow. We are to always be growing in the faith, growing in the truth and the maturity in Christ. And this is why Ephesians 4, 14 tells us, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. When you start hearing schemes of the devil and lies in your mind or false teachers that Paul constantly is reminding the churches about that come in and go, hey, let's just get you one inch off the narrow path. You'll be miles off the path at no time if we're just walking around and going, oh yeah, that must be true, that must be true. The truth of the gospel is to be the very filter and lens that we see through now. That's what the belt of truth is. That's what we're to do with it, fastening it on, tighten it, make sure it is ready at all times. So when your mind is hearing things that are contrary to the truth, you go, that's not real. That's not right. So you should be asking questions of those things. So, for example, maybe some of you have heard these words play out in your mind. You're a failure. You see what you just did? How could you do that? How can God love you? There's no way God can love you. Your father is not in control. No, you must not be saved. You must must not belong to him. He's abandoned you. Uh, As a mom... Uh, believe me, I know my wife has battled this. You're not a good mom. Look at your kids. They're acting up. How how could you possibly be a good mom? Or as a dad, how can you provide for your family? God must have left you. Or in temptation, when we're tempted to sin. Well, you're going to do it anyway. Just do it. You're forgiven, so you might as well just walk into it. Have Have you ever heard any of those things whispered into your brain? Now, let me say here what we can also see. If the fastened truth is upon us, when we're hearing those things, do you always speak to yourself in the third person? Maybe not. So maybe if you're hearing, you're a failure, you're this, maybe it's coming from somewhere else. Maybe the schemes of the devil are starting to seep into your brain and he sees that the truth has been let down. So what do we do? Well, we need to ask questions to hearing those things. Is that a lie? What truth is in that? What does God's word say about that? Who is this coming from? Is it coming from God or is it coming from the devil? And if we have fastened the belt of truth and have mastery of it, you will recognize that those are lies. Even while you might not understand a situation or a circumstance, you will be able to remember that you're who your God is in light of the truth. As Peter says in, uh, about Christ, or says to him in John 6, 68 to 69, he says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So when you're attacked or you're you know, being um, schemed upon, you can go, Jesus, I know whom I believed in. This isn't making sense right now, but I know whom I believed in, and I know what the truth of God says. And so I can fight every feeling and emotion that makes it feel so right, but I know they're wrong. Man, the devil can play with our strings, and those are our feelings and emotions. They weren't meant to be our rudder. Christ is our rudder. So put on the truth of the gospel. Preach it to yourself. If you're in Christ, it's been given to you. 
why would you not use it? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, um, pastor a long time ago and theologian, he said this about a revitalization that he had in coming to the gospel. And what he said, he likened it to a man that had a knowledge that he knew honey was sweet. But at the first taste, the sweetness burst alive in his mouth. We can know the gospel. We can know the truth of Jesus. But have you tasted it? Has it come alive in your mouth? And that is an activeness of going, yes, I believe it, but it's actually functionally playing out in my life. I'm actually experiencing it. And that brings us to our final point. And that's how does it practically play out? So if we see how we come to possess it, if we've seen um, what we are to do with it, how, how does that actually play itself out? I mean, how do, how do you fasten the belt of truth? Well, Paul was always ready for a fight, like I said, and he's communicating what useful tools the armor is for the warrior in Christ. Now, the problem on a daily basis that you and I have uh, is we can forget the first two points. And what I mean is we forget that we've received it and we forget that we were to put it on and all of a sudden we're on our own. Because for you, and I'll speak about me and I'll let you answer for you, uh, we can be self-driven, we can be self-inundated, we can be self-abasing, self-doubting. Uh, we look at ourselves. We can be very self-motivated people. And when we're so focused on ourselves, that leaves an opening to the enemy. Your adversary is crouching and hiding. He is a lion waiting to attack. So what that happens when I'm so focused on myself, what do we do? How are we to get out of that? How do we put the belt of truth on and stand in action? Well, first, remember, you're to have it fastened on at all times. So we should be in the scriptures. We should be constantly being mastered by the truth of Jesus. So you should be carving out time. This is not oh, I know I need to be reading my Bible and pray more. That's what a Christian does. Yes, it is what a Christian does, but it is vital for your life in Christ to be fastened upon what he's telling you and who he is. If all of a sudden the attack comes, then you try to run and go, now I need to be mastered by it. Well, guess what? That's too late. In that attack, it's going to be hard for you to fight if you have not already been mastered by the truth. So we should be in the scripture. Second, we should be constantly, as we're constantly bathing ourselves in the truth of the gospel, this will lead to action, right? And what I mean by lead to action is we'll have the tools to use and go, how do I counterfight now? I'm standing firm. I do not leave my post. But as I'm being attacked, I can focus on preaching the truth of the gospel to myself. And what I mean by preaching the truth of the gospel, maybe you've heard that term before. Um, it's nothing new. Since the beginning of the church and early church fathers, it's a constant practice. We see Paul doing this, constantly preaching truth to himself and those around him. All the way from John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and John Newton, a pastor and author who wrote Amazing Grace. Constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves. Now today, uh, there's a pastor up in uh, the Northwest, uh, in Washington. His name is Jeff Vanderstelt, and he has done work in this that's been super helpful to me and a big influence. And he had a book called Gospel Fluency about speaking the gospel truth to yourself and being fluent in the gospel. And it gives us amazing framework about how do we actually do this? Like, 
instead of just this big, yes, I just believe in the truth. Well, we've got a chart that we're actually going to walk through here. So what we're going to do is here, he actually calls this a fruit-to-root exercise. Okay, and so what we're seeing is when we're starting to be lied upon, what we need to ask ourselves is, what am I experiencing? And so if you see at the top of the tree, well, if you're experiencing fear or anxiety and you're able to go, it's because I'm not in control. Like I see a desire of control in my life. Well, then we need to go down the chart because what we're experiencing can allow us to then determine who God is instead of his word, instead of the truth. So in light of this, if you go down, you'll see that, well, if I'm experiencing a desire for control, then who am I? Well, then that's saying that I'm not in control, but I believe I have to be, right? Parents in the room, please say amen to that. Uh, Yes, Mm mm-hmm. My kids, when they get out of control, all of a sudden something happens in me and I'm tempted to go, sit down, you need to go do this. Like I've, what happened to actually disciplining and loving in the instruction of the Lord? And yes, I'm to be firm as a parent, but I'm not to lose it. So who am I? I'm out of control. So what has God done? That's the next step. Well, I believe that he stopped loving me or that he's abandoned me. He's not here, right? And then so who is God? Well, he's unloving. He's absent, right? So then we start to see what I'm experiencing is now informing who God is. And what do we do from there? Well, we repent. We say, those are not true. Father, forgive me. Help me to turn from those wrong thoughts and motives. See that that's the schemes of the devil. And then now we turn. And then now we see we have a healthy root. And so we'll go to the next chart. So when we have a healthy root, that's the belt fastened upon you. Because who is God? Well, his word and true tell me that he is love. God is love. He is powerful. He is control. He is in control. In Hebrews 13, we see that Jesus has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he hasn't all of a sudden completely changed. No. Then what has God done? Well, he has loved me. Jesus died for me. He laid down his life so that then I could come to him and trust him, and know that he is in control. So then who am I? I'm loved. I'm accepted, right? And then what does that come? Well, the fruit that we see out of that is peace, joy. And listen, this might be a continual process, because sometimes anxiety just keeps coming, just keeps coming. Well, we have to keep, keep going to the truth, keep going to the truth. So this is something that you'll start to do, and if you start to work and ask these few questions, but what are you experiencing? Who does that say I am? What does that say God? Who does that say God is? You'll start doing this just really fast. And then you'll start to go, well, no, I'm so inundated with the word of God that I can real quickly see when an attack comes. And you'll be able to help others do this as well and have compassion on them and not just be judging them and going, why don't you just believe the truth? You're a Christian. Just get the truth through your head. No, 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 no. When you're able to walk through these steps, and go, no, now I can have compassion. Now I can point you to Christ. Now I can see where it is you're out of step with the gospel and come to the truth. So remember, the more you practice it, the more you live in it, it'll start to happen without you even noticing. And Christian, we are to stand. I mean, we are in a fight, but believe me, it is very real when you're hearing accusations and you're hearing temptations for your hands to droop for your knees to slump? Have you ever felt weak and that you can't fight anymore? 
I have. And I have had to be reminded of the truth that I have been given, that it's fastened upon me, that the victory does belong to Jesus, and he has slayed the devil for eternity. Yes, we are in a very real battle, and we will get knocked to the ground, but Jesus is saying, I'm right here. Get back up off the canvas. And so when your hands start to droop and the truth of the gospel is reminded to you, you remember you've received it, your hands start to lift back up. And that you remember that you're to put it on, your knees are strengthened. And you can stand in everything that Jesus is for you. We must, we must stand in the truth. He is the truth. He's the way to life. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, I thank you that you did send your son. You sent Jesus the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We have a very real enemy, and I know he wants to take us out. I know he wants to put little schemes, little lies into our minds so that we we start to go away from the truth. We start to waver and can be so easily tossed to and fro. Would you help strengthen us? Would you help us to know that we have received this in you? And I pray, Father, for those that have not trusted in you, Jesus, would you please be moving in their hearts and bring them to you and show them that you are the truth and who they are in light of that. Continue to encourage us this week. Give us power. Where we, for those that are weak and beat up in battle, Father, would you please remind us that we can be strong in your might because it is not dependent upon us. Jesus, we love you. Please help us in the fight. We know that you've won. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.